Welcome back to Misconceptions. Um, I'm here with Cheryl. Um, she is a life coach um, and the wife of the famous Will <laughs> of uh, Penn State Christian Athletics. Um, so what is, what, what is your role um, here on campus as like a, a life coach to a, a lot of the women um, athletes and regular students here on campus? Uh, I started, we came onto campus right after I graduated college, so we've been here 20 years, and it's more mentoring, kind of walking life with different, the women and just being able to uh, ask questions, kind of guide, kind of, you know, give insight into life experiences I've had, but mostly just to walk along beside them as they struggle, as they work through things, as they figure out who they are in college. So how do you, how do, how do you do that um, as far as from a, a mental standpoint? Like, what are some of the things that you feel a lot of uh, women in our in my generation are like dealing with yeah you're um i'm not sure if it ever changes i think it comes out differently with every gen when i was in college i struggled a lot with an eating disorder but behind the eating disorder i struggled with who i am uh, a lot i believe your 20s are trying to figure out who you are coming to college is that time to figure out who you are you can't have a purpose in life until you know who you are and so we want, we want these great purposes. We want to do these phenomenal things in life. But if we don't know who we are, then those purposes have no depth. And so a lot of girls come to college, they're leaving home for the first time. And so you're out from your parents, you kind of for the first time get to be who you want to be. And there's a lot of pressures to be perfect. There's a lot of pressures to fit a mold that's not necessarily one for you to fill. Uh, I feel like as an athlete, you deal with performing for your coach, you deal with performing for your strength coaches, your professors, you have all of this to all, everybody has expectations of you. And um, you don't even know who you are to fill those expectations. And so then everybody's telling you, well, you need to do, do this, you need to be here for this, this is what we do, this is the culture that we've created. And so you're, to fit in this, this is who you are. And so they struggle with, well, I'm not sure that's who I am. Yeah, they were at home, your parents helped form in a lot of ways who you are. You know, your, your cousins, your aunts, your uncles, your friends, they all were a part of who you are and you come here and it's not there. And so you don't have that base support to hold you on a minute by minute, day to day basis. So you kind of have to take that step. It's kind of like the bird leaving the nest and trying to Okay, is, is this who I am? And so a lot of girls, I think, really, really struggle with uh, their worth because if they don't, if they come from being a top athlete in their school and they get here and they're one of 30 top athletes, and so all of a sudden you're like, oh, I, I, was, I was it. I was the most popular girl in high school. One of uh, the cross-country runners several years ago said to me, she said, you know, I wore soccer shorts every day to basketball practice or to cross-country practice. And she said, I came here and everybody's in tights. She said, I didn't know what to do. You know, and she said, everybody accepted me to be the soccer short girl. She said, but I come here, I can't wear that to practice. And so she said, all of a sudden I'm trying to fit into what everybody else is doing. 
and what the upperclassmen are doing and, and what's expected of me. And she said, so I got myself so wrapped up in what everybody else expected of me that it really messes with who, your core of who you are. And so I feel like mental health in women and men, but especially with women, is so crucial in these college years because, especially as athletes, because you're trying to figure out who am I amongst everybody telling you who you are. Hmm. And so the eating disorders comes out, depression's very high, suicide rates are high, or at least attempts, you know, um, very, like our culture, especially here at Penn State, is very much of a party culture for the athletes. And a lot of the girls come in, they, they didn't have those experiences in high school. Why do parents put their kids into sports? Keep them out of the drugs, keep them out of sex, keep them out of these crazy relationships. So they come to college and this is what it is. And so they're trying to figure out who, how I fit into this. Hmm. And so a lot of the girls really struggle, especially freshman year. Especially if you look at Bible study, there are not that many freshman women who come. Yeah, freshman year is hard. It's a really <laughs> hard year. That's a hard year. It is. And so my hope is to walk with them. And that's often, it's some by word of mouth. Somebody say, oh, I want you to meet her because, you know, she'll just sit down and have coffee. And a lot that's a lot of what I do is I sit and have coffee and I listen. Because they need somebody to vent to. They need somebody who's just going to say, you're going to make it. We'll get you through this. You know, and and let's just walk. Let's walk this together. And so that's a lot of what I do. And so it's a lot of asking questions, a lot of letting them, you know, figure out for themselves who they are. Wow. Uh, wow. That was a lot. <laughs> um, wow. Because I feel like I know for myself, like I kind of. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I have a mental illness, but I would say that I struggle sometimes with mental wellness in a sense of in a sense of like um being able to like I guess like what we what we we talked about earlier before we started um, internalizing everything. Yeah. Like I don't I don't find proper sometimes I don't find proper ways to express myself. Yeah. Or I just don't at all, and yeah. I'll just be like I'll just I remember in high school like I would there was times where I didn't feel like I had anybody to talk to. Yeah. And I was going through like depression and stuff, and yeah. obviously my mental wellness wasn't where it needed to be. And I just, I would just go, I would just be around. Like I felt yep. like I was existing. I didn't feel like yep. I was living. Yep, yep. And so it was like, I was just here. I wasn't hurting anybody. I wasn't like right. harming. Right. I wasn't, I wasn't yourself. Right. I didn't think about yeah. harming myself. Yeah. I just wasn't, I just didn't feel happy. I didn't feel like I had worth. Yep. So. Yeah. I would say 99% of college women athletes come in with that, you know, and part of it is what are you going to do with that? Part of it is sometimes we can look at it saying we don't have 
good mental health, but the reality of it is we have to hit a bottom to start to come out and see who we are. Like sometimes our circumstances have to get so bad so that we figure out, oh, I do value who I am. And we don't want to go there because it hurts so much to go there. But, but to be honest, on the, on the long-term range, you need to get there to see, oh, I, I do value myself. I do have worth. Like for, for me, I would say we focus so much on not wanting to struggle that we miss the beauty in the struggle. And so for me in high school, I hated high school. Um, yeah, you know, it was just really those hard years. <laughs> and so I, I slept around a lot. I drank a lot. I smoked a lot. Like I did whatever it took to, you know, be out of this cycle. But that's what eventually flipped and gave me who I, made me who I am today. Because we sometimes we have to lose ourselves to realize there's more to life than us. Like from my perspective, I would say we have to get past seeing ourselves and see God and see his character and see his love for us. When we start to see that. I think that's what I was missing. Like I didn't yes, feel like, I, I didn't I know. Missing. I was wondering like, is God hearing me? Yes. Like, yes. does he really yep. love me? Like he said, like, yep. what is, I don't understand. Yep. So. And if you didn't go through that, when you do finally hear him and realize he's there, you would miss it. You would totally miss it if you didn't know what it was to not hear him. And for me, I had to hit a point where I hated myself, I hated my life, and I was like, okay, God, I'll do whatever it takes right. to get out of this, because I can't, I hate it. And, and I did. And it was like overnight. And I thought, okay, I'm going to live a different life then. And, and God, and I realized for the first time in my life, for me, it was literally the first time in my life that I saw God and understood him. And it gave me like it gave me direction. It gave me purpose. But so much of what what with the struggle is, is we get our life is very internalized. So I internalize like you do, and so I'm always trying to figure out my role, my part, my everything. And we can when we don't have an outside value, like God, because God created me, that's why I'm here because God loved me so much that he died on a cross for me, he gave his life for me, that's why I'm here, then I internalize different. Because I'm like, okay God, what are you trying to do here? What do you want to do with my life? Where would you like me? You know, what is, who am I? Because then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm someone who loves to talk to people, mm-hmm. okay? And so, okay God, how are you gonna use that? You know, and so for the first time it gave me outside purpose for who I was. Before it was like, I love to talk to people, but people don't understand me. I don't, I don't understand right. my family. I don't, yeah. you know, they misinterpret me. And this time it gave me a purpose of saying, oh, so if I, if I love people, yes, I'm going to be misunderstood. That's part of life. But it's because of God who he is, of forgiveness, that I forgive myself for those things. I can forgive other people for things that happen. And so what resonates with me, one of the girls that I mentored several years ago um, came in as a top recruit and phenomenal, phenomenal lacrosse player and got injured the first practice. So she came in and injured so much that she never played. Wow. So she had limped, permanent limp. And so she went from being everything 
to nothing overnight. And she had to really do a lot of soul searching to figure out who she was. So in the course of that, really developed a pretty severe eating disorder. And so, but was doing well in school, was doing, you know, on the outside, looked like life was pretty good, but on the inside, just completely torn apart because she didn't know what her purpose was now that she lost the cross. And so very, very high, um, just phenomenal girl as far as what she was capable of doing with life, but had no idea the purpose behind it. And so as she struggled with her eating disorder, she ended up moving in here with us. And I would, you know, I would talk to her and we would talk about values. We would talk about what is she really like in life? You know, she loves meeting with people, but she looks at her schedule and it throws her off. And she's downward spirals because she's like, I'm so busy, I can't breathe, I can't function, I can't do all this. So then she was reading Seven Habits of Highly Effective People with therapy, and I was reading it as well. And we and it translates into where are your values versus focusing on what you value in life instead of your schedule. So for her, it was okay, these are the I value people, I value doing things very well, I value um, she's a Spanish major, Spanish, being able to relate to kids, all this kind of stuff. So it took focusing on that and not focusing on the schedule here that kept her so busy. And then, and so she had to learn to take it off of her day to day, like, ah, these things really stress me out to say, I'm able to be, spend the time with people. I'm able to interact with children. I'm able to grow my Spanish. And so that was part of her healing. The craziest part of her healing was when she moved in with us, was Dominic. Dominic has a lot of, our youngest has a lot of issues, and she saw us choose to love him regardless of his issues. And so after she moved out, she said the greatest part of healing for her was seeing how Dominic was loved because of his issues. Hmm. And she said, I realize people love me because of my issues. And from a God perspective is the fact that God loves you so much, no matter what your issues are, that he was willing to die on a cross. And so for her, all of a sudden it gave her the idea, oh, I'm not, I'm okay. And it gave her work to realize, I do have a God who loves me that much. And people do love me regardless of my issues. And all of us have issues. Like there's no way around it, you know? And so it's a lot of forgiveness. It's a lot of give and take. But so much of us, we internalize it, and we can't seem to get out of that inward I think constant spiral. Sometimes it, I wanna, I wanna talk about it. Yeah. But it's I don't know what it is. Something inside me is just holding me back from that. Yeah. From yep. actually talking about it, yep. like because it's, it's like I have to pry it out of myself. Yeah. 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 And the reality that people do care to hear it. People want to hear it. And it's believing that because of who you are. Like, you have value because God loves you that much. And people will hear you. But that was the same way. Like, you don't want to tell people your stuff. Yeah, right. You know, it's, but so much life can be given by what you learn through your stuff. You know, and so what, being able to talk about it and work through it, you start to see the lessons in it. You know, we talk, um, you talk a lot about crucible moments in life. And so crucible moments are probably one of the hardest moments of your entire life, but you get the most joy out of them because you see the lesson learned. You know, I herniated two discs in my back when I was 30. And so I had to lay flat for four months. 
And I had never gone a day without working out in my entire life. I, I could do anything. Yeah, that's and, tough. And I had to lay flat for four months. I thought I was going to die. Ah, uh, yeah. I, I, I feel I like that my too. my 30th birthday, <laughs> my best friend growing up brought me a basket of mics because I was so depressed because I was just laying around doing nothing for four months. I think, I think, that's, I think that affects it. Like, I think yeah. that plays a role in, in, in mental wellness and, like, depression and stuff. Like, not being able like not being immobile and like at least for me i have a lot of energy so not yes. being able to get that energy yes. out yes. for so for so long it's yes. like i just get into like a bad mood oh, or yeah. i get oh, sad yeah. or it's just, hurt everything hurts yeah. like, I'll tell you like he knows every couple of days i i have to i have to go i have to i just need to get all this energy out i have way too much energy but what it taught me was I survived it, and I can go without working out, which released the hold that that working out had on my head. Because we get stuck, we're like, oh, I have to work out. I, I have to, I have to be this. This is, this is who I am. This is, this is a part of me. In reality, who are you? You're a child, God. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Not fearfully and wonderfully made, working out an hour every day. And so when you let go of that pressure, all of a sudden I could work out for fun. And if I missed a workout, I didn't miss life. With, with having kids, all of a sudden, I don't know if I could have had any kids because I would have had to have worked out. And working out was so important to me. So how'd you get through that? Oh, it was miserable. I mean, it was, ask my family, they'll tell you it was very painstaking. But on, after four months of not doing anything, I realized, oh, I read and I was like, oh, I like reading, you know? And I played with Spencer, because we only had one at the time, and I thought, oh, this, this isn't so bad. And it wasn't about me, you know? And so when I had the next one, it was a whole lot easier that when I needed to take the six weeks off to recover, it wasn't so bad. Six weeks weren't for months. And so I could take that time. And so I, I learned my perspective, like I define myself as someone who loved to work out, who could do anything I ever wanted to do. That's what I would tell you. I, I ran, I worked out to eat whatever I wanted. That was my philosophy. And I pretty much could do whatever I wanted. Never had any struggle. But it was, I could do this, I could do this, I could do this. And so when I took that out, when it was taken from me, all of a sudden I realized, I'm not defined by the fact that I can go out and do whatever I want. That's a gift given to me. And I can still do that. But all of a sudden I learned to love it instead of being controlled by it. And that's where the, I finally had freedom for the first time ever. And that's where I think mental wellness really kicks in. Because we are enslaved to our thoughts, yeah, wow. enslaved to our actions, enslaved to what we do, our routine, but we have that routine because we like it, but we're enslaved to it. And so with, with, with Jane, she got enslaved to her schedule. Even though she loved the people, she was enslaved to that schedule. So mental wellness is about breaking the slavery to things and doing it because we enjoy it. And that's what I had to do with working out. I had to get to a point where I wasn't, my life wasn't dependent upon working out. Mm -hmm. And then I wasn't enslaved to it anymore. And then I loved it again. You know, but so much of our life we're stuck to the slavery of, even if it's just the mundane, 
you know? Our schedule, simple thing of schedule can totally enslave us and that is mentally debilitating. Wow. And totally messes with our head. Wow, that was a lot. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I don't, yeah. This, this, is, this is like some of the stuff I like about like doing the podcast because I get to like just see stuff from different perspectives and like I like, I, I, I'm really in love with listening. I, I always, I notice about myself is that I listen a lot more than I, than I talk. Which is a very good thing to do. And, and I, I kind of love it because I, yep. I feel like I, I just soak up everything. Yep. And then I, somehow my brain just starts to decipher it and, yeah. and just throw some, some stuff out and then look at like the key parts like, oh, wow, okay. And then I start to like apply it to my life. Yep. And, and you have to have the noise stop to be able to do that. And when we're stuck in like mental issues, the noise is so loud that we can't hear anything. And so when you can listen and hold back and hear what's come, what the truth is, you know, knowing the truths versus the lies, getting rid of the lies, right. then you start to apply and you start to learn and you start to grow. And you help me a lot too, like especially like with my journey, like you know, you help me kind of you know start to you know. You were a contributing factor in helping me realize that I was bigger than uh, football and bigger yeah. than you know just this this one dream that I that I wanted. So. And and it's realizing the the role that dream played in your life. Right. Because it wasn't a lost dream. No. No? Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Not no. at all. That taught you so much. So. So much of the world, I feel like, is, is wrapped up in basically the world saying, okay, this is how you live life. Mm. You, you wake up, as a, as a kid, you grow up, and I don't know, this is just the way I, I see the world. You, as a kid, you grow up, and they say, what do you wanna be? And they tell you, you can be anything in the world, yeah. right? Yeah. Just pick whatever you wanna be, and our imagination is so big and grand, right? Yeah. And as you get older, and you start going to school, and you start being exposed to so many different other things, yeah. They start to tell you, it's, it's not that easy. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it's like, oh. I wrote this in one of my poems. It was it was like, uh, they the world sells a kid a dream and then they take it away once they cut and become a certain age. Oh, very true. They, very true. They tell them, oh yeah, you could be this, you could be that, you could yep. you could do you could be anything. Yep. You could be a firefighter. Yep. You could be a police officer. You can be. A football player, you could be yep. a basketball yep. player, you could exactly right. you could be the president. Yep. And then, you know, you get a little older and the world starts saying, No, nah, you can't be that. I'm cynical. Yeah, like oh no, nah, you are nah, you you, you don't wanna do that because you don't there's so many other stuff that goes mm -hmm. into actually getting there. Yep. Or no, nah, you 
you got to pick something more practical. Yep. Are you? Yep. Uh, oh, that's yes. not realistic. Oh yes. Oh yes. And I f and then it's like, you know, you grow up, and we're set in this this way of, uh, you have to get up, you have to go to this job, you have to make money because you have to pay bills, and it's and it's so dog eat dog. Mm -hmm. It's such a dog eat dog world, and it's like. I feel like the world is so set on making you so busy yeah. with so many other things, yeah. but they never say, what about save time for yourself? Yeah. And I, I, I wonder, um, I guess, how all that plays into to mental like wellness yeah. and, and, and life coaching. Yeah, it comes out like in so many ways to bring out, all I can see is hope. You know, give hope. Most people don't have it because they see, you see, so a phrase I always, always use, the forest for the trees. Like sometimes we can't look over the forest because we're stuck seeing all the trees. And I said, so my, my theory is don't look in front of you, look up. Look up to God, because that's hope. The whole biblical story gives us hope. Because somebody was willing to die for us, so that we can go to heaven. Like, everything about it is hopeful. And so when we instill hope, then the cynicism of the world has no value in our world, in our lives. And so we get stuck in these, you know, I just feel like we get stuck in all of this stuff. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody. Everybody has an opinion. I think that's part of it. it. Like, yeah. like even just, for me, like people just oh, you can't, gas. you can't be yes. this. Or it's like discouragement, and they. Yes. And sometimes I feel like some people get joy out of discouraging people. Yes, they you know? do. They do because it puts them at their level. It brings them back down to their level, a hopeless level. Jabril, you tried out for football how many times? Six. Yep. Guess what? After two, how many people told you? Yeah, you're never gonna make it. A lot. Everybody probably did. <laughs> and guess what? Did you make it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, yeah. like that speaks volumes about hope, perseverance. You know, it's it, whether or not you played. I think you made the wisest decision after, but that process was what you were to learn. That process of realizing I'm not gonna listen to the world. You know, when Will and I got married, Will was the guy who tried out like four times for baseball. Mm -hmm. I'm the one who's, my dad would be like, you don't have a chance. I didn't even try. Quit. Before I even tried. Because if I can't do it perfect, why should I do it? I have, when I became a believer and started going to church, my whole life, 180. Like, almost went the opposite. Like, no, let me try. I'm going to try, try, try. Because I still believe there's hope. You know, but as a kid, nothing. So we were always concerned that we would have one kid who had all this talent, because I had all the talent, but had no drive. Or we were going to have, and so we were afraid we were going to have a kid with all the talent and drive, Will's drive, or a kid with no talent and my lack of drive. <laughs> I want to do nothing. But like, there's so much to, like as a parent, my objective with the kids is to give them the tools to figure it out. Not to be like, you're never going to do that. You know, you can't do that. You suck at that. You know? No. You can grow into it. Mm -hmm. You know, anybody can change. Anybody can. And so, but I believe the whole world's objective is to beat you down and hold you back. And I believe the only true, like, But I it's like, hope. so, 
I'm just trying to figure out where, why do, why, why do you, like, where does it start or where does it stem or like, because yeah, as we're kids, you know, like, teachers and everybody so, are like, oh, yeah. you can be this, you yeah. can be that, you can from be a, this. From a psychological perspective, it starts to kick in in adolescence. Your adolescent hormones all shift and as you go through puberty and all this kind of stuff. So in, in reality, a great term I actually heard just typically what they would say is you get everything from your parents till about 14, 15, and then you need other people to feed you because you're not listening to your parents and you're focusing on the world around you. And that's very, very common adolescent years. And that's what I think really gets us sucked in. So the downside that parents make, and I just heard this yesterday and I thought, ooh, really smart tool to tuck into my brain, is that as parents we kind of like, okay, it's somebody else's turn to really feed into their lives, not mine. Like they're not gonna, my kid's not gonna hear me anymore. And in reality, no, it just shifts. It shifts to being a support for your kid to figure it out instead of being the parent to tell them what to do. You know, some of the best parenting advice we got years ago was you tell them no as often as you can when they're little to give them boundaries, and then as soon as they hit like 10, you say yes as often as you can so that they have the freedom, because they know your boundaries mm -hmm. that you gave them, and then they have the freedom to kind of explore and figure it out for themselves. And so as a parent, our job is to kind of go along beside them, not holding their hands. Because I feel like that's what we've done a lot, is we hold their hands, and then the world comes crashing around real hard when they hit college. See, I think that's part of like yeah. what my mom did. Like my mom, she never really was strict on like saying, bro, you have to do this, and you gotta do this, and you gotta do that. And she like, I just felt like I had a lot of freedom mm -hmm. in certain ways, especially in like thinking and, and, and setting goals for myself. Like it was, she kind of just let it be, it yeah. was just on me. Yeah. Like she didn't yeah. really say nothing yeah. about it. She, it was just on me. Yeah. And I felt like, I don't know why or how, but I just started to, I felt like there was, there was so many people discouraging me. Yeah. And there was so much yeah. negative, yeah. you know, around. There was positive. There was positive too, yeah. but there was negative, it's and nice. I had to figure out how to deal with the negative. Oh yeah. And so, I just got into this mode where it was like, I have no other choice but to yes. believe. Yes. Do you know it takes seven positive comments to get rid of one negative? Wow. Yeah. So for every positive thing said to you, it took seven of them to get rid of one negative thing that was ever said. That doesn't happen. People don't encourage enough. You know? And that's, I would tell you, as a life coach, that's probably my biggest job, is to encourage. To build up. And to show, like, value. Give, talk to the girls about their value and their worth. Because the whole, everybody's going to fight them. And that's what it, in the reality that it takes seven positives to get rid of one negative, and we that's live in a world crazy. of negatives. We do. Everybody's negative. You know, and it's not always intentional. Yeah. But it still happens. My parents were like yours. They just, hands off. And so, in a lot of ways, you know, with, the, with my kids, I don't have them there yet. You know, but my hope is that I'll be a cheerleader and encourage them. But be there, you know, to be that voice to, to dispel 
the negatives, but not hold on. Uh, yeah, that's what my mom you does. Know? Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, wow. Because you want you want to encourage them to be, but I can't. That, they still gotta fly. Like they still gotta fly on their own. I can't hold them back and make them be who I want them to be, because who they are is not who I say. But as far as as far and and that's where a lot of happens in college with with women, especially because their moms have been so influential, and then their mom's not there. And they're like, wow, well, now I have to make these decisions on my own. Right. You know, now the drawback and the, the drawback so and the what ab- So what about the girls that don't really grow up with a, a stable mom? Yeah. Do you think that it affects them even oh, more? Oh, yes. Um, I, it's, I would tell you it's a balance because I think the overindulgent mom is just as bad. You know, the mom who's always there talking to the kids 80 times a day, you know, that's a lot. But a lot, seriously, there are a lot of girls who call their moms like 10 times a day. My kids will not call me 10 times a day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and there are a lot of girls who do that. And I think that's a, that's a mom who, who the girl is really struggling to find their value with their moms think of them. And that's not good. Because it's not what your moms think. We raise you, we're gonna love you no matter what. Right. You know, and so our goal is to love you no matter what. And I think we have a real hard time of letting them figure out who they are on their own. Because we don't want them to fail. But sometimes failure is the greatest thing that can happen. Because it forces you to figure it out. So, so, how would you, how would you, how would you, what would you recommend? Um, so for me, I, I'm a perfectionist. Yeah. So I made, I got in a lot of trouble growing up and I made a lot of mistakes, but I got, I'm at a point where I like, it's almost like when I make a mistake or when I, when I make mistakes, I beat myself up yeah. too much about it. Yes, you do. And so I, I, there may be like, there's people like, you know, you make a mistake and, and, and you, you want to be better than that, right? Mm-hmm. Like you want to mm-hmm. be. Because you demand excellence out of yourself. Right. And so when you don't hit that mark, whether it be in sports or just as a person, how do you, how, what do you recommend um, for like getting past the mistakes that you make? Yeah, that's where forgiveness comes in. Like, that's where you gotta understand true forgiveness. We forgive other people really well. I don't believe we forgive ourselves for it. And to forgive yourself, you have to be able to love yourself. And so that's what it comes down to. When you love yourself, when you have an honest idea and true love for your for who you are, you let things you can say, okay, that was a mistake. I gotta correct it for next time and move on. Because you see the long term. But when you make a mistake and you're uncertain of who you are, you don't love who you are, that mistake is detrimental. And it's very hard to get past it. And so then when the next mistake comes, it sucks more life out of you. And it sucks more life out of you. So my, my, my core value would tell you when you understand who God is, because God is love, mm-hmm. then you understand who you are and the love that he has for you. And then those mistakes are given perspective. 
because you realize, okay, I'll, I'll grow from that. You made a lot of mistakes in high school, of where you're at now. Did those mistakes have any impact on it, where you're at now? Uh, I think so, but in a good way. I think I guarantee you they did. Because it forced you to start to face. Like, okay, I, got, I had to work through this one. When I made mistakes in high school, it destroyed me. You know, I was literally, I just, it just went from one mistake to another mistake to another mistake because I couldn't grab it. And then I had an eating disorder on top of it, so then I lost all athletic ability. And I really paid the price on that because I was, I was hurting my body so much. Mm-hmm. But all of those forced me to get to a point where I realized how much I didn't like myself. And, and then what happened from there? And from there, somebody started, well, I would randomly go to church on Sundays, which was kind of crazy. And I saw, they would always talk about love of God, love of God. I'm like, what does that love look like? You know, and I can honestly tell you, that's been a, um, that's been a uh, God and I conversation for years. Because for me to fully grasp his love, I have to fully be able to love myself then. But even more so, to take a child who is not mine, and love him well. And, and to see that the love God has for him, because I often view that as his love for me. Like, it's, it's your core, because when you understand that, you, that God loves you that much, that you have value in that love, then your mistakes are only short-term, because there's longevity there's eternity perspective an eternal perspective you know and so when you don't have that you get sucked into this and so for my goal as a life coach is to encourage on who they are like you are a child psalm 139 you are a child of god you are fearfully and wonderfully made he knew everything you were going to do before you did it so this mistake he made is already no is it really a big deal you know it is to you now but in the long run probably not you know, you don't remember the B's you get on tests. Right. Like, at my transcript, you know, my B's in classes, I don't remember. They didn't have that big of a, you know, now, now as, as life goes on, gotta get out of here. Go get in the office. And, um, and so they didn't have a huge impact now. But at the time, I thought my life was going to end because I didn't make nursing school the way I thought I was going to. You know, one well, reality, I'd be a whole different person if I had. And so God gives you, yes, you're going to have shifts, but when your value is placed on, when your sense of value is placed on what you really, really want out of life, like if you were to die tomorrow, okay, what do you want your friends to say about you, your, your uh, teammates to say about you, and your family to say about you? Do they want to say, well, he got that B on that test that day. He missed that shot. He missed that catch playing football. No. That you want them to say, he was a great friend. He loved well. He was a great uncle. He showed me he was a great role model. So when that's your perspective, then these these other things don't get as much value to them. You know? And so from God's perspective, is that's him. God's saying, This is who you are. You're not determined by these pluses and minuses. You know, not these A's and B's, not this this catch and this miscatch. You know, it's it's based over here on who you are. And our failures often have allowed us to be a better friend because we're not stuck in ourselves. Right. You know, it allows us to listen. The greatest gift you can ever have is to listen. And when you're stuck in 
not really sure who you are, you're not listening to other people. You're only worried about what's going on in your head. And so, so you get stuck so easily in this area of your here. But for the girls, I'm like, no, 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 no. That's the here and now, but this is who you are. You know, it's not gonna change. Sorry, you have a dog. No, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> that's it, really. Okay. Uh, thanks for thanks yeah. for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you, Jabril. I loved it. Uh, it was great. I knew I knew you have like a lot I of do. good stuff I to say. Not anything. So <laughs> I, I definitely I knew I had to get you on here. So yeah, thanks for joining me. Yeah. All right.